today on Ag News Daily. So, you know, that change is definitely coming in the next year. And we're going to see that where we won't be able to, you know, producers are not going to be able to go to the farm store and pick up, you know, those first-generation antibiotics like penicillin or oxytetracycline. They're going to have to come to a veterinarian to pick those up. Welcome, listeners, to a Friday episode. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside the one and only Cassidy Zirkel. How's Cassidy doing? I'm great this morning. How are you, Tanner? I'm great. We are clearly the A-team here to rock some Friday news, get a little bit of WASD report updates in, and then cap it off with a really good interview. Yes, sir. I'm excited for this Friday episode with a lot of serious news from you and some funny news from me. That's probably the best route to go. I will start off with the first bad news of the day is inflation has now hit a 40-year high as gas, grocery, and rent prices have all gone up. So the consumer price index increased 8.6% annually, the largest increase since December of 1981, the Labor Department said this morning. Economists had predicted that inflation will hold steady at 8.3. However, that 8.6 figures where it came in. So on a monthly basis, that is a full 1% increase from the prior month. Gas prices, as we know, have increased 4.1% or just shy of 50% annually, while groceries rose 1.4 last month to nearly 12% year over year. So not good. I think we're all feeling it. Cassidy hit our pocketbooks, but the official report just told us it's the worst since 1981. Yes, sir. I definitely feel it when I go shopping for groceries. And I'm sure consumers who want to try this new hybrid of beef and bison are going to feel it as well. It looks like a couple is trying to breed the meanness out of bison and keep the leanness by breeding them with cattle to produce a new and healthier meat of the future. Wow. That's uh, I'm surprised that hasn't been done before. I also am. I feel like it probably happened quite a bit in the wild, but I guess it's never happened on a serious and intentional note. That's true. That uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we, we did a, a report on uh, the free-range cattle that were out on the national parks ground, so there might be some other nature's concoctions going on, but uh, now to see it intentional, that that could be interesting. But To take everybody back down again, Purdue has reported that farmer optimism has taken another hit. So their barometer here for the end of the month of May, according to their ag economy barometer, Purdue University reported to the CME group that farmer sentiment plummeted to a reading of just 99 on their scale. So their index goes from zero to 200. This is now the weakest farmer sentiment reading in the last two years since April of 2020. It marks only the ninth time since 2015 that that number has been below 100. So Cassidy, farmer sentiment has been in the top 50% of this chart for a large majority of the time. But of course, what do we think leads to the reason farmers are a little bit more sour? It's the dramatic rise in production costs. We've got high commodity prices, but Most producers know that when production costs go up, they come down much slower than the volatile commodity market. So when you look at diesel hovering over $6 a gallon 
and inputs continuing to rise with potential shortages in fertilizer for next year, even though the government plans to work on that, it is still putting that ag economy barometer there down below a score of 100. Well, Tanner, it's sad to see that our farmers and ranchers are not in the highest spirits, but to give them a little chuckle today, I have a story coming out of Oklahoma City where Blake Egert of the Oklahoma National Stockyards Pinback Group was called to rope a cow off of the freeway because it was disrupting traffic. The video is quite funny, so if you need to lift your spirit listeners, just go check that out. You know, I think I know why everybody has you as their favorite Ag News Daily host, and it's because you only deliver good news. That's part of my good cop, bad cop. Situation we have going on, Tanner. Well, this isn't such bad news here coming up, but uh, Kansas City, Missouri, a uh, jury has ruled in favor of Bayer in the Shelton versus Monsanto trial, where the plaintiff, Alan Shelton, had charged that Roundup that contains the active ingredient glyphosate has caused his cancer. But according to that jury, their verdict is in favor of the company brings this trial to a successful conclusion, consistent that the evidence says that Roundup does not cause cancer and was not the cause of Mr. Shelton's cancer in this case. These conclusions were consistent with the assessments of expert regulators worldwide and is concluding evidence. So, of course, now, Cassidy, Bayer is currently asking the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn the $2.5 million award in the Hardman versus Monsanto to Elwin Hardman of California, who had also blamed Roundup for giving him cancer. So starting off and more appeals to come, but results out of a Kansas City jury stating that Monsanto was not the cause for that gentleman's cancer. Well, Tanner, I would say that is a win for agriculture as well as just general consumers, because maybe we'll be seeing a little bit less of the infomercials about Roundup. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's a good perspective. And for my final funny little tidbit of news, but actually also uplifting in another way, is that hero rats have begun training to rescue earthquake survivors. This article says that these intelligent African giant poached rats are helping humans save lives through search and rescue missions wearing tiny backpacks. And if our listeners don't know, which I'm sure they don't, I am absolutely terrified of rats so i honestly think that if this rat came to save me in earthquake rubble i would die of a heart attack before the rescuers found him (laughs) you don't think that you could sit there and and uh could do a thumb war with a rat to occupy your time until rescues got there you you would just call it quits absolutely i would call it quits and that is my biggest fear is rats Well, uh, last piece of news that I have here real quick is a couple of two pieces. We'll roll right into the WASD after this, but we are looking at some potential severe weather, a lot covering a lot of the United States. Of course, Texas is potentially, Cassidy, getting ready to set the record for the most consumed energy as your heat wave is continuing. But uh, we're looking at additional heat across the Corn Belt. A little bit of rain potentially coming through uh, this area as well. We got more showers last night. But ultimately what our listeners are waiting to hear about is the June 10th 
WASD report. So not a lot of exciting news today. It didn't seem like much was adjusted according to what traders were expecting. So U.S. grain ending stocks were reported corn was uh, at one. 1,485,000, soybeans at 205, wheat at 655. That's a comparison to the average estimate for corn of 1,436, 215 for soybeans, and right on the nose for wheat. So a uh, little bit of a raise there in corn ending stocks as far as what we had seen. Now, the U.S. grain ending stocks also came in higher corn at 1.4 compared to the 1.327, soybeans 280. Uh, lower than the 308, and wheat pretty much pegged right on what the prediction was. U.S. wheat production average estimate was coming in at 1.7, 1.71. The report came back at 1.73. Uh, that was for all wheat. So when you look at things today, Cassidy, it really was still kind of uh, as usual. Yes, sir. And I believe you and Delaney predicted that that would be how this WASDEEP report came out. But honestly, boring is good. Boring is better than terrible news. So post-report then for the markets, we've got corn at basically even for the day, soybean down 16 cents. Uh, wheat, again, like I said, it came in pretty much matching exactly what predictions are. It's unchanged as we sit. Uh, live cattle, when we head to uh, the livestock side of things is down six tenths for the day. Lean hogs uh, also down. So, yeah, again, it looks like as we are post report here, the biggest mover on the day is the soybeans. Otherwise, it seems as though everything was pegged as analysts were predicting. So, not a bad way to finish out our Friday episode. So, let's kick it on over to our interview for today and have some fun there. Well, listeners, I'm very excited to introduce my good friend Meg Harrington with NAH Livestock Consulting. She's here to discuss a little bit about pharmaceuticals and vet care for cattle today. How are you, Meg? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. And for our listeners, can you just give a little bit of your background in agriculture, what you've done before and what you're doing now? Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in a Southern Indiana on a you know small family farm. Uh, I started in veterinary medicine at a young age uh, when I was in high school. I actually worked through an FFA program to where I spent half of my high school day at a vet clinic. So I started in veterinary medicine um, fairly young, and I knew it's where I wanted to be, um, you know, basically the rest of my life when it came to my career. So. After I graduated high school, I went to Purdue University and I got my degree in veterinary technology and took my board exam and became a veterinary technologist. Uh, after graduation, I worked in practice for a few years and then I moved to Arkansas. I took a position uh, teaching veterinary technology for about a year. And then after that, I uh, accepted a position with Beringer Ingelheim Animal Health and I was one of their territory managers uh, for a little over eight years, almost. Uh, almost nine years with them. And then recently I um, have moved over to back into veterinary practice um, with Nashville Animal Hospital as their livestock consultant and veterinary technologist working for them. 
I've always wanted as uh, a career as a banker to be able to say that I'm just practicing. I've always been envious of that, but also not envious of the amount of time that you had to dedicate to your studies and to your trade, uh, which is fantastic. And I'm glad that Cassidy got us connected for this interview today because we've got some curious listeners and some curious hosts around the the new requirement in livestock medicine now requiring prescriptions before any medicine can be sold to the producers now. Do you have much background on that new law? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm pretty familiar with it. You know, when I was with uh, Beringer Ingelheim, you know, one of the products that we had was an oxytetracycline, which is an over-the-counter antibiotic, uh, in addition to some of the prescription antibiotics. And so when something is a prescription, um, you know, the the FDA decides if that needs to be a prescription product. And then USDA is involved with that as well. So they decide, you know, what products get to become prescription or not. So, you know, that change um, is definitely coming in the next year. And we're going to see that where we won't be able to, um, you know, producers are not going to be able to go to the farm store and pick up, you know, those first-generation antibiotics like penicillin or oxytetracycline, uh, they're going to have to come to a veterinarian to pick those up. So, I mean, that's what that change, you know, is looking like here, you know, before too long. And I think that's June of 2023 where those, you know, those are going to go officially in effect where, you know, any of those over-the-counter antibiotics uh, will have to go through a veterinarian. And Meg, I've noticed some places around Texas, they're already not selling those uh, prescriptions over the counter anymore in the farm stores and stuff. Has that upped your business as a vet technologist and has it changed anything from the producer's perspective that you've seen? You know, I really don't, I don't feel like we really have seen the effects of it yet because we work with so many producers right now that if they need something, we're, we're going to get them what they need as far as that operation. And a lot of times it's probably not going to be those first generation antibiotics. It's going to be something a little more specific to what they're dealing with because we try to do diagnostics to be specific on what we're going to be treating so that we can be very good stewards of the antibiotics that we're going to use. So honestly, no, I, I really don't think it's it's affected us very much yet. You know, will we have more producers choose to work with a veterinarian on some of the management decisions they have moving forward? I think yes, um, because a lot of times there is producers that, you know, they don't necessarily have a relationship with a veterinarian. And it's something that every producer needs to think about because there might be a, a day and time where they really need veterinary care advice. Um, and I think that's something that the benefit out of this will come to where producers can can develop relationships with veterinarians and hopefully be more successful in their operations. Cassidy, I'm just here imagining, you know, little vet pharmacies popping up in the Target stores and a, <laughs> a corner, a corner CVS so that farmers can have the vet fax over the prescription so they can get get the drugs for their livestock that they need. But I'm glad that we line up conversations like this because what I just kind of grasped is it, it made big headlines, but it might not have a huge impact on our producer listeners because it could benefit them in building relationships with a vet that's now going to understand their herd, understand the common issues and maybe get them a drug that will fix the issue rather than maybe just shove it to the side for lack of better terms or, or get it to where it's bearable. Uh, so it could be a lot of positive things, but 
in your industry, what what are you seeing as as some real bright spots on the horizon for animal care and drug use? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing is it kind of just, it, it all kind of comes back to, you know, the first conversation that we had about, you know, these products that are available over the counter. It's easy for people to go grab them and pick them up and, and try to just use that to, to handle something at home without having to, you know, contact a veterinary office or a veterinarian. I think it provides a lot of opportunity for us as an industry um, with producers, with veterinarians, for us to be good stewards of antibiotics and use them in the right way. And what I mean by that is, you know, if we have a producer, for instance, they're, you know, they're buying lightweight, high-risk cattle and they're, you know, having a, you know, high mortality and um, they're losing a lot of cattle and, and they don't know what's going on and they've tried some antibiotics and things aren't quite working, it's a wonderful opportunity for us to try to figure out what specifically is going on so that we can identify it and use the right antibiotics and, and we can all be successful in that, in that way because we're, we're able to make sure we're, you know, make sure that we're using the right product um, antibiotic wise for, you know, the specific bug uh, that they're dealing with. So it just being able to work together as a team helps our entire industry. I completely agree, Meg. And I think when consume if consumers can hear that side of the story, it's really going to help the negative connotation that comes with antibiotics when they know that producers are working directly with a high, highly trained vet's office and their staff to learn how to administer their antibiotics correctly and use the right thing for the right issue. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is the laws being proposed for animal traceability. This has been a conversation for a long time, but what do you think about the requirement for everyone to have electronic ID? Yeah, so I mean, you know, if I if you look at it at a producer's perspective, um, I think the automatic feeling is control, maybe government overreach, and some people are fearful of that. So I think, I mean, there's there's fear from producers on what that's going to look like. But in reality, if we really think about it, you know, for a veterinarian to write a health paper, uh, we have to have some form of permanent identification, uh, whether it be, a, you know, a permanent metal tag, um, a specific brand or tattoo. So there has to be some kind of permanent ID. And those electronic EID tags serve a really good purpose on that um, when we're transporting animals. Now, if we look at it on a disease surveillance, you know, if we look at it disease surveillance-wise, I think it's a really good tool when it comes to managing things and being able to find uh, animals and trace back to operations where, you know, maybe they had a a brucellosis issue or um, a foot and mouth or something like that. We're able to be specific and contain things before they reach larger populations or reach into other states think we'd be able to trace things and make it, um, you know, more contained a little faster with electronic ID. Really the only information I think, um, you know, the government gets is your premise ID and an individual number for an animal. And I think that's really all the information that they can get off of it. Um, But to a producer, there's really a lot of capabilities when it comes to um, record keeping that are, that are really great for your management um, of your operation when it comes to those EID tags. There's a lot of functionality and technology that goes with that that can really help producers with record keeping. So I think there's a lot of pros and cons out there. Uh, everybody kind of sits on that fence a little bit different on how they feel about it, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing uh, because I think it's, 
it's a way to kind of be consistent. Um, and I think it's a way if we do have disease issues that we are able to uh, contain things a little bit faster before they, you know, wipe out an entire, um, you know, population. You know, so we see it a lot in like, you know, swine operations or uh, poultry operations where we have outbreaks that, you know, just wipe things out so fast. Um, I think we could maybe contain it a little bit faster um, with cattle. And if we think about how much, you know, cattle move, um, you know, across the country, uh, there's a lot of movement of cattle. And I think things could spread fairly fast and that might be a good way to to help it. So. Well, Meg, I I really appreciate your perspective on that, and I think it's really good for producers to hear the positive sides of animal ID and electronic ID because, like you said, a lot of people just hear government control and government overreach, and it really scares some people, but to hear your positive perspective and the positive things that can come from it really help to get a lot more people on board. And from... Again, from your perspective, do you think either of these things are going to have a big impact on the cattle markets? I don't think necessarily if we, you know, if we mandate electronic ID, is that going to change um, the market? Not as a whole, um, I don't think. Now, we might see some more opportunities for operations to be able to ship cattle um, export-wise because of age and source verification. So there, there's some opportunity there, I think, to maybe make things a little bit better. Um, now, as far as the antibiotics, uh, do I think that's going to change anything? Um, I don't think that, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot more difference than, than anything that we see right now when it comes to the market on the antibiotic side of things. One thing that I was going to mention as far as the, the EI goes some of the some of the pushback and the drawback on that is cost. Those are fairly expensive tags. Um, so that is a that is an input cost to a producer. So that is something to consider and think about. So that that is uh, one of the things that you know is kind of a drawback on the 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 EID is the cost to the producer. Now some states, I know Arkansas has a program to where they have like a replacement heifer program or a new bull program where they um, will provide some free tags. So I don't know that's for every state, but I knew that I know that we have that um, here, here in Arkansas. Well, it's very nice to know that there are programs like that to help producers and even more of a reason for them to let go of their negative connotations and kind of accept this change as the positive thing that it can be. And Meg, I just wanted to thank you for joining us today and all the information that you shared. Is there any way that our producers and our listeners can find you online and get in touch with you if they have any questions? Yeah, so the NAH Livestock Consulting, we do have uh, we have a Facebook page where we try to keep producers up to date on what's going on um, on our uh, our Facebook page. Um, and then I'm also personally on um Facebook. I uh, have a personal page, uh, the Cattle Vet Tech. So I try to post some updates uh, that's relative to veterinary medicine um, that's helpful for other veterinary professionals as well as uh, producers. Great. Well, we'll be sure to link all of that in our show notes, and we really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it, Cassidy. Not, not always can something that might even be consumer driven as far as traceability and track, you know, what the consumer wants for their meat 
to stay competitive and relevant in the market also be beneficial to you as the producer. So it's good, good to get perspective on a lot of different fronts with that conversation. Good on you for seeking her out and asking her to come on. Yes, sir. I really appreciate Meg joining us today. She has a lot of information and knowledge to share. And it was a great Friday conversation. Absolutely. But since today's Friday, everybody wants to get to the weekend. So what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go.